On this episode, we go back to the basics and take you through bourbon training camp. What does it take to be a bourbon? What are some of the designations? Tune in and find out on this episode of The Bourbon Hunters. But before we get started, let me tell you about our sponsorship with Greenline Goods. This four-year-old company is based in Chicago and creates etched and printed glassware. Check them out on the link in our bio and save 15% off using the discount code BOURBONHUNTERS. You can also check them out at greenlinegoods.com. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us on our hunt for great bourbon. Reward yourself and sit back, grab a pour, kick up your feet, and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Hunters. I am Duke Poole. I'm joined by Brett Bryan. And oh, once again, Tyler's not here. Tylerless. All right. So today we got a request from a couple of the listeners about going back to the basics and just talking about bourbon just in general. Uh, so we're going to cover a few things during this episode. We're going to talk about uh, how to taste bourbon, uh, a couple different ways you can do it. We're going to talk about what it takes to be a bourbon. We're going to just. Uh, yeah, whiskey versus bourbon. Yeah, and then we're going to, uh, you know, from there, we're just going to drink and talk like normal. Because so, bourbon, bourbon's made in Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. All, all bourbon comes from I Kentucky? Mean, a lot of bourbon comes from Kentucky, <laughs> yes. We'll get into that. Uh, but we're going to just have our regular episode, just intermingling with information. So we're going to drop some knowledge today, uh, and then we're going to talk about what we've been up to. And we're like going to enjoy some delicious bourbon. Yes. Almost forgot about that part. Well, I didn't forget about it. I forgot to mention it. There you go. I knew we were. I mean, that's the only reason we're here, right? So, all right. What are we drinking right now? We're doing a little primer here of some Lucky 7 from Bourbon Enthusiast. It's one of the two Lucky 7s he's done recently. And uh, what do you think of this, man? This is really good. Um, You hadn't told me the proof one, and I was taking, you know, big whiffs of it. And I was like, this can't be that high of proof, just because I was shoving the old schnoz in there. And a lot of times you get like a high ethanol off of it. And you told me it was like 132 proof. 132.5. And yeah. I was like, whew. And then I took a drink. Ooh. And it. That last drink I just took was really nice. Yeah. Now, my first drink was a little a little visceral. You know what I mean? I haven't had anything. This isn't something you would normally primer with. but <laughs> Right. Um, Everything else should feel a little less in comparison. Yeah. So. Um, once we get started, I want you to open up that Evan Williams 12 that we're doing over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has a chance to, to breathe. But, uh, so while we're doing this today, we're going to do, uh, we're going to review the Evan Williams 12, which is only available from what, from my understanding in Kentucky, if not even, I think just, just the at distillery. the Evan Williams, uh, experience or experience. Yes. Not a distillery. Um, and, uh, then we've got a Carl T. Huber's Starlight Distillery from Mash and Journey, uh, which is called Chocolate Wasted. And uh, it's I've already we've already had it both of us and it's outstanding. Uh, and then we're going to also have the Old Forester One Seventeen Whiskey Fire or Whiskey Row Fire uh, Fire uh, Edition or Fire Series. Yeah, whatever. Or it's the third one. It's yeah. the third one so far. So um, Whiskey Row Fire. Yeah, just Whiskey Row Fire is what it says on it. And so I believe this will be the last thing that has Jackie Zykan's autograph on it. It's mm, a good um, point or signature or whatever you want to call it. Not autograph because she didn't personally sign them. Um, but I, I was told, I think that there's another Jackie Zykin MTS series coming out at the distillery before, Mm -hmm. uh, before long, actually it might be this week. Um, so when you hear this, it may have already come out. 
So uh, that being said, uh, we're going to go through those three, but we're also going to just uh, talk about some things, uh, you know, what it takes to be a bourbon, all that stuff. I, I mentioned that, um, you know, just some different uh, variations of bourbon, you know, uh, just a little bit of history as well, some things like that. But um, what have you been up to? So I just got back from Orlando. Um, I was down there for a work conference thing. It was not a vacation because I personally would not go to Orlando for vacation. Um, I'm and not, why is that? I'm not the Disney person. Um, and I did not realize how many people go to Disney. Like, I, it's just in the back of your head. It's not something I think about. I'm not a big Disney person by any means. I don't have children. Half the plane were these, like, excited kids. Which And it was, it was kind of cool, I will admit. On my way down, because it was a direct flight to Orlando, all of these kids and their parents and, like, their matching Disney shirts. Yeah. And even the TSA people, like, they were really friendly. They are like, is it your first time to Disney and stuff? And these all these little kids were really excited. Oh, I bet. And uh, he was like, just come on through the metal detector and, instead of doing, like, the uh, like the low-dose radiation scan. Yeah. And just having them run through. And, and they were really excited. Now, going to leave was a whole other story, right? Because, like, the fun's over. It's all right. everyone's now it's, like, travel mode. And yeah. And like, irritated. No, yeah. No excitement. <laughs> and the Orlando airport leaving was pretty crazy. Orlando um, airport. I always remember it just being almost a shit show. It was. There were just people everywhere. And the yeah. lines were crazy. And, again, it's, you know, so many people, I think, leaving Disney and stuff. Um, but it was a good time. Is that the one that's, like, almost set up like a square and then it goes out into different, um, out into different, uh, what do you call it, like, Almost wings, kind of. If um, I, right. I was I flew Southwest, so that's kind of the only like concourse that I stayed oh, in. Oh yeah, so that's probably I always flew American, so it's probably a little different for me. But. Yeah, it was a direct flight. Uh, work paid for it, so whatever. Um, so that was nice and everything. Well, I was down there. Um, they didn't have a ton of bourbon selection at the hotel. Probably the best thing I had was a Kentucky Wild Spirit. Um, was very pumped to see that sitting on the shelf. That's good. Was uh, it was it a barrel pick or was it just like a shelf or a Kentucky Spirit? I'll be honest with you, it tasted like it could have been a barrel pick, but I wasn't able to get a hold of the bottle. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, because you said you're gonna try to get it. I was gonna try and get a picture of it and everything to to post on the gram, um, but it was their service was terrible, and I think part of it was they weren't expecting so many people from the conference to be at the restaurant, and they seemed a little understaffed, and so. Well, I think a lot of places are understaffed right now. Yeah. Anyway, so I mean. That's that's something I've been running into even just at restaurants and even here. Yeah. I can't imagine a touristy place that sees even more traffic. And we were in a group. You know what I mean? It was a large group of people. Um, I think there might have been eight or nine of us at our party. And it had been different if I was sitting at the bar by myself, which is what I usually do. So sure. yeah, didn't want to bother them. They did have at that restaurant a Mezcal Old Fashioned. Um, and that was really good. It was very smoky, which I know Mezcal is smoky. Yeah. They use some kind of like smoky bitters, um, and I really liked it. I was impressed because I was like, you know, I, I drank old fashions pretty much the whole time I was there, <clears throat> and I was like, I'm gonna try something different. I'm gonna do this mezcal old fashioned, and it was really, really good. Did it have bourbon in it or whiskey in it, or was it just made? Was mezcal a substitution for the like a, the rye or the whiskey? So I think mezcal was a substitution for the rye or the whiskey, but it still had a brown. And I don't drink mezcal. Does bre- does mezcal have like a brown tint? Because it's so mezcal is a very broad. Uh, it's just an agave, uh, based liquor, but isn't it aged in Um, a barrel? Well, it can age in some of them. I think age in the bottle even, um, Mm. after it's been bottled. And I, I don't remember the, the a hundred percent and this is not a mezcal episode, so I'm not prepared. Um, so I don't, I don't remember the details of what it takes to be a mezcal. I I believe it, it's because it's agave, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, um, 
But there's other things that you can do, and like there's sometimes there's florals added to it. Sometimes, you know, there, there's other things done, and it's done differently in different regions. The way I understand, and I think, you know, like with bourbon and whiskey, like all bourbon is whiskey, not all whiskey is bourbon. Yeah, circles or square. I'm pretty sure tequila, all tequila is mezcal, but not all mm. mezcal is tequila. Okay, the way I understand it, I'd have to confirm yeah. that, but th- that's the way I remember it. Um, <clears throat> so tequila is a type of mezcal, from my understanding. So you know, just like with uh, with tequila, you could probably have mezcal that's aged in barrels, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, giving it some some color or something like that if you wanted to, like a. Uh, you know, with your uh, Blancos, your uh, Anejos, right? And mm-hmm. then, uh, I don't remember what Would the other Would you call me? No. <laughs> hey um, But, but yeah, anyway, I, I don't know 100%. I haven't studied up on Mezcal in a minute. So same, it's same. not all, like, on the top, tip of my brain. But, but for anyone local... Um, the High Bank Distillery, they do a smoked old-fashioned. It reminded me of their smoked old-fashioned okay. is what it reminded me of. Yeah. So that was kind of like the restaurant that we would go to. There were only a couple of restaurants in the hotel. <clears throat> and then there's always like a hotel bar that just serves drinks. And um, I just got an old-fashioned there. And, man, that one bartender, she was killing it. Um, she'd be like, you know, what do you want for your for your bourbon in this? And she's like, Makers is what we usually use. And, of course, they charge different prices for the bourbon and stuff. Yeah. And I'm looking around. And I was like, oh, I see larceny back there. Can I use the larceny? And she was like, no one ever uses that, and it's really good. And I was like, I know. <laughs> and so she was pouring me some um, larceny ones. And she must have really liked that I wanted to have a larceny one because she was pouring them heavy, man. She had a heavy hand on it. That's fine. And so, like, I would wait when I went to order another one, and, like, you could see kind of which bartender was going to take care of you. And I was like, oh, hold on. I'm going to see if my friend wants something. <laughs> you know what I mean? And kind of defer. Wait till you get to the yeah. other bartender. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. And then I brought with me some of those little Buffalo Trace airplane bottles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that I'd have some of those. Trip, yeah. And I'd be like, can I just get some more ice? I'm just drinking kind of slow today. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. And then doop, 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 doop. <laughs> Did it make that noise? Yeah, it did. Oh, nice. I guess if you're pouring <laughs> it fast, it probably did make that noise. Yeah, because I was trying to do it quick and like right. you know not get caught there. So that brings me to what we did a couple of weeks ago. We haven't talked about that on the on the episode yet. No, so we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but we did a barrel pick with uh, Bourbon Enthusiast. Yeah, at Old Forester, Old Forester with Bourbon Enthusiast. Uh, so we'll talk about that experience here in a second. So that was a bucket list for me as far as barrel picks are concerned. That was and, awesome. And it did not disappoint. That was awesome. Uh, but before we get into that, so bourbon. I mean, that's what we are. We're the bourbon hunters, right? So what does it take to be a bourbon? So I know uh, Brett jokingly said earlier that it has to be uh, made in Kentucky. That is 100% false. (laughs) So I I know people to this day still argue that, that if it's not made in Kentucky, it's not bourbon. And, you know, I know that there is a... um, you know, probably a pride thing when it comes to Kentucky that most of the world's oh, yeah. bourbon comes from Kentucky. But the only stipulation as far as geography is concerned is the United States. So bourbon has to be made in the United States. Now, this is a dumb question, but does it specify like the 48 like locked states, the continental, or can it be, is there Alaskan or Hawaiian bourbon? It just says the United States. So okay. it's a distinctive product of the United States. Title 27 of the U.S. Code of Federal Regulations uh, as Congress acknowledged in 1964, said that bourbon is a distinctive product of the United States, and to be recognized as a bourbon, it must be produced in the United States, okay. not Kentucky, in the United States. Uh, it also has to be made from at least 51% corn. And then other things that it has to do, uh, which I, I think most people 
maybe they do or don't know this, but it's not as, you know, uh, uh, probably fresh on people's minds is it has to be distilled at below or at or below 160 proof. And then, uh, you know, it has to be placed into a new charred oak container. So anytime a bourbon is placed into a finished barrel, so like if you, Angel's Envy, for example, the minute it goes into a port cask or a brandy cask or a sherry cask or anything like that, it is no longer considered bourbon. But if it goes into a second oak barrel. If it goes into a second new Yes, that has like maybe a different then char is, yeah, or light. you can call that double oaked and it would still be considered a bourbon. Now, the way they get around that, and most people don't tend to care. Mm-hmm. Like they still say they're drinking bourbon when they drink Angel's Envy, and that's fine. You know, you don't really need to correct them because yeah. it was bourbon up until the point where they finish it. Mm-hmm. So they aged it as bourbon, it was bourbon, and then they put it in a, you know, a, a finished barrel of some other sort, a used finished, you know, finishing barrel, and that immediately makes it not a bourbon. So the difference being, so th- so uh, people ask about this every so often. So like, uh, for example, Angel's Envy, not technically a bourbon, even though it was a bourbon up until the point where it gets aged in a secondary cask. Um, but like, uh, let's say Woodford. Woodford's double oaked, right? Mm-hmm. That is still a bourbon because both barrels were new. So it is a still a bourbon, even though it had a secondary finish and a second new charred oak barrel. And Old Foresters is the same way. They're nineteen ten. Yeah, the nineteen ten. They right. talked about that when we were there. That yep. it, I think it's a heavier char on yeah, the second, but it's a shorter, you know, aging. duration. Yeah, yes, yeah. So, um, and then the other thing is when it's put into that new charred oak container, it has to be at or below one hundred and twenty five proof. So. For example, like Elijah Craig, Stag, some of those other ones, when they do their barrel proofs mm-hmm. and they're at 130-something, that's because the proof went up after it was barreled. Most likely barreled in that 125 range, and then after, you know, whatever it was, evaporation, something like that, the proof went up. The water evaporated, so the proof of the alcohol went up, and so the proof ends up in the 130s and something like mm-hmm. that, which is possible. So you can yeah. have bourbon above that. It just can't be put into the container above 125. And then also it can't be, no other additive substances can be used. And this is what takes us to the argument about the Lincoln County process and um, like charcoal filtering and things like that. So Jack Daniels, yeah, exactly. So everyone wants to argue that Jack Daniels is not a bourbon. Technically, it is a bourbon. They choose to be called a Tennessee whiskey. Uh, even the distillers at Jack Daniels say they are a bourbon. Mm-hmm. They have been on record many times. And if you watch the Mash and Drum when they were on his show, they even said on there they are a bourbon. They choose to be called a Tennessee whiskey. Uh, you know, they're made in another state, Tennessee, other than Kentucky. So, you know, they want to, they, they, they created a distinguishing characteristic, that Lincoln County process that is used for Tennessee whiskey. But they are technically a bourbon, and people will argue that that charcoal filtering makes it not a bourbon. But it's not, because charcoal filtering is subtractive, not additive. So that charcoal filtering actually takes away. It doesn't add anything to it. And if you think about it, like, would Jack Daniels be as popular if they were listed as a bourbon 
right? Jack Daniels, everyone knows Jack Daniels, Probably. right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's one of those things that every single person knows Jack Daniels. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whether that helped their marketing or not, like, it definitely didn't hurt them by any means. No, it doesn't hurt them. And, and you know, because they're a Tennessee whiskey, what do you think people in Tennessee probably, Jack you Daniels, know, try yeah. to drink is Tennessee whiskey, you yeah. know? And Jack Daniels probably, I think, is one of the, if not the most, drank whiskey in the world, oh, I'm I sure. So, uh, it's up there for sure. Um, but... There's other distinguishing things about bourbon. So, like, for example, I told you all the things that it needs to be to be a bourbon. Well, a straight bourbon. So if you see a label that says straight bourbon whiskey, then it means it needs to be aged for a minimum of two years to get the straight designation. So anything that says straight bourbon means it's been aged for at least two years. If it says Kentucky bourbon on it, then it needs to have been aged at least one year in the state of Kentucky. So, so technically, it could be aged for one year in Kentucky and then go sit in, I don't know, Mississippi for eight years and they could sell it as a Kentucky bourbon. Yeah, or the other. They yeah. could they could age it for six years in Mississippi, bring it to Kentucky for a year. One, and call it Kentucky call bourbon. Call it Kentucky yeah. bourbon. Um, now, that's not a federal law, but that is a, uh, a Kentucky state law. So if you want to sell it as a Kentucky you know, bourbon, it needs to be aged for at least a year inside of Kentucky. So I used to have this um, belief and it's it's not correct because, you know, so much bourbon does come from Kentucky and there's a big limestone shelf that sits in Kentucky. Yeah. So I thought that it was a requirement um, to use limestone water. And then I was corrected uh, on that. Yeah, obviously, no. a long time but ago. But that's when one I was of the things that like, they claim is their, you know, the key to their success yeah, and why, why it's so tastes good. so good yeah. and stuff like that is yeah. it the limestone filtered water basically removes that might have been in the con- sulfates or something. Yeah, that might have been when I was in college, you know, and everyone's like, oh, no, it's not because it wasn't made in Kentucky because I went to school in Kentucky. Yeah. So now straight bourbon has to be minimum of two years. But anything that is aged for less than four years, um, it also has to include an age statement somewhere on the label. So if it's less than four years old... It has to have an age yeah, statement. So if you see something that okay. does not have an age statement, that means it's over four years old. I didn't realize that. Now, here's the other thing about age statements. So if you're combining barrels, mm-hmm. blending, mixing, whatever you want to call it, the lowest age of those barrels is the official age of that bourbon. Mm-hmm. So if you age a th- or blend or mix... A three-year with a five-year with a 10-year, you can't call it a 10-year bourbon. You have to call it a three-year bourbon. If you put an age statement on it, well, in that case, you would have to because one is less, less than, than four, four years. Yeah. But let's say you did a five, a 10, and a six, you would have, and you wanted to put an age statement on there, you would have to call it a five-year. Now, what a lot of people do to get around it, like Bardstown Bourbon Company, for example, they don't put an age statement on there, but they'll put a label on it that tells you the age of the barrels used. Okay. Or the, you know, percentage of 10-year, yeah. percentage of 5-year, percentage of 6-year, whatever. And a lot of people are enjoying that transparency anyway. Yeah, I like that. Because, I mean, what if it's only 10% of a 5-year, you know what I mean? Right, and, and then 50% a 12-year or yeah, something like that. to try and get right. some sweetness out of it with that younger bourbon and yeah, stuff. Yeah, for sure. No, that's cool. Um, so that also brings us to, you know, bottled and bond. If we're going to talk about, you know, aged bourbons and things like that, um, so bottled and bond has a little bit of a different designation as well for it to be a bourbon. Um, if it is bourbon, it has to follow all the regular rules for bourbon to be a bourbon. Um, but to be bottled and bond, it has to be made from one distillery during one season. And it has to be aged four years or greater in a bonded warehouse. 
Which and, the government holds the key to that? Is well, that correct? I think or? that's the way it used to be. I don't okay. know if that's the case anymore. But it still has to be a bonded warehouse, which means I believe the federal government still has access to it anytime they want okay. uh, for inspections or, or different things like that. Uh, and there's probably some sort of uh, whoever, you know, locally, and, and I'm guessing this is conjecture here, but I'm, I'm guessing anyone who works for, say, Buffalo Trace at their bonded warehouse uh, and they might even have all their warehouses bonded. I don't even know. But I would assume that maybe one of them has some sort of federal designation or something that, you know, can lord over it, basically. But I don't know that for sure. And I think some of that was to protect consumers because well, of some of the things that people were putting in. So real quick, the last designation mm-hmm. for it to be bottled and bonded is that it has to be bottled at exactly 100 proof. And so E.H. Taylor was the big proponent of bottled and bond. And what was happening back in the day was you had rectifiers that were taking, you know, uh, some grain alcohol and they were adding things in it to make it look like bourbon and then they were calling it bourbon. Um, so they would add turpentine. They would add uh, tobacco spit. They would add... That's the one I always heard, tobacco yeah. spit. And then you, people were getting rot gut. And uh, so E.H. Taylor really went in Colonel, hard. Colonel E.H. Taylor. The Colonel. Oh, I hated the colonel <laughs> with his wee beady eyes and that smug look on his face. Oh, you're going to eat my chicken. Oh, <laughs> sorry. So I married an axe murderer. Um, different colonel. But he was big in pushing the Bottled and Bond Act to protect consumers. In actuality, I think his biggest drive was to help drive these rectifiers out of business mm-hmm. um, because they were cutting into you know, business. And he, he took pride in good bourbon and it was, I think basically making him mad that they were stealing his business, but also that they were putting a crappy product out on the market. Um, I don't know how much he truly cared about people getting rot gut or not as much as it was about cutting into his, you know, product and his profit. You kill off his consumers. There's no one to buy any product. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, there's a lot of, I guess conjecture again, you know, but uh, stories about E.H. Taylor, how he was kind of a bad businessman. He went, you know, bankrupt a few times, left the state till his uh, debts were cleared and then came back in, started another distillery or another business or whatever. Mm -hmm. He would sell like the same barrels to multiple people, uh, take the money from both of them and then only deliver to one of them, obviously, (laughs) and then leave the state, things like that. So, um, you know. There, there were some things. And again, I don't know how true those stories are, but I've heard a lot about those different stories. And I don't know if you know the answer to this question. I'm assuming you probably will. But so all of these, you know, rules that we have for bourbon, are these pre or post prohibition? Did all this come after so prohibition? The Bottled and Bond Act was before prohibition. That okay. was 1897. Wow. Which is why if you ever drink the Whiskey Rose series from Old Forester, They have four different recipes. Mm -hmm. They have their 1870, which is considered their original recipe. Um, And then they have the 1897, which is their bottled and bond whiskey row. Because that's when the Bottled and Bond Act. Right. So it's to commemorate that bottled and bond. Um, And then the 1920, I think, chronologically was the next one that was released. And then the 1910 was last. Um, But the 1920 was the recipe, basically, or, or the mash bill, or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know if their mash bill has changed, but it was, it's basically made the way they made it going into Prohibition. For, like, medicinal uses. And then 1910 <clears throat> was uh, a double-oaked. Uh, I don't remember if that's something they did in 1910, a bit, but basically 
the reason they did their Whiskey Row series was to kind of tell the history of Old Forester through the years in it through whiskey, basically. Yeah. Basically, um, I so could, I, go ahead. I might be misremembering, but I think in 1910 there might have been like a fire, and there were were barrels that were ready to be bottled, and then they couldn't because there was a fire. And they put them in a, them in a, them in a second barrel. That might be. That I might think be. that happened in 1910 for Old Forester. If not, then it's a great story. It is a good story. You just so. got to go with it. Confidence is key. <laughs> I think. I think that sounds right. And I was. I was thinking that a little bit when you before you mentioned it, but I. I didn't want to commit to it. Yeah. But I think you're right. Hearing you say it makes me think that that is true. I'd have to look it up again. Wasn't prepared to talk Old yeah. Forester today. So. Um, so you just poured some Evan Williams 12-year. I didn't even know this existed. 101 proof. I did. I I didn't know that the only place you could get it was at Evan Williams, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, I think my only experience with Evan Williams is their vintage, right? Yeah. Or no, I guess I've got that 1783 small batch, right? Yeah. Um, I love their single barrel, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. vintage it's one. Good. I think it's very, for what it is, for being a... Which is now a Kentucky-only product, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I know. That so, sucks. Um yeah, have fun finding that in Ohio now. Used to be on the shelf all the mm-hmm. time. But uh, so Evan Williams, 12 years. Uh, again, when we went to our Old Forester barrel pick, after we were done, we went to lunch, and then we just decided to walk down. We were going to walk to Michter's, and I had forgotten the Evan Williams experience was there. And uh, the guy with us, uh, the Bourbon Sherpa, is his Instagram. Uh, he said, oh, let's go into Evan Williams and uh, see if we can jump on a tour real quick and maybe get the 12 year. I was like, sweet, yeah, I forgot about that. That's a good idea. So we went over there. They were able to fit us on a tour, but it was like an hour, an hour and a half later or, something. or something. Yeah, an hour and yeah. a half later. And then because of that, we were actually trying to get back home at a, at a reasonable hour because we had already been there. We'd left that morning to go for the for the uh, tour. Uh, we went to Buffalo Trace on yeah. the way, got some Blantons actually, got lucky, and then went to the Old Forester tasting, then went to Evan Williams, and then just left for home. But we couldn't get on the tour, but we went up to the bar, or not the bar, the gift shop. Mm-hmm. We went up to the gift shop, and we were just talking. I saw a whole bunch of them behind the counter. Uh, so they ha- they keep them in these cabinets behind the counter. And I said, hey, we were trying to do the tour, but they didn't have anything until after we need to leave. Is there any chance you'd be able to sell me an, you know, an Evan Williams 12-year? He's like, well, I can't sell your whole group one. I said, well, it's just me. And he goes, oh. Kind of looked around, and he's like, yeah, I'll sell you one. And so he reached back there and grabbed one for me, and they're 150. Um, we'll find out if it's worth it or not. But it's a 12-year Evan Williams, red label, uh, white lettering, uh, 101 proof. So I've never had it before. We just opened it. What do you uh, What do you get on the nose with this? I haven't smelled it yet. I was looking at the bottle. If there was anything, oh, uh, yeah. any any good information on the bottle? Not it really. actually looks like the Heaven Hill label. It does the six-year green uh, Kentucky only Heaven yeah. Hill label, but it's Evan Williams. Uh, it says 1783 on the uh, on the the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, it says Evan Williams aged 12 years on the front and the side. It just says it's aged 12 years for a smoother, more complex flavor, world renowned by bourbon lovers. Well, I mean, I have heard good stories about it. Um, yeah. It you know it says genuine sour mash down the side. Um, yeah, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. So what does that mean? Um, so it's at least two years because it's Kentucky straight. Um, and it was aged for at least one year in Kentucky. So, also, the fact that it says age 12 years, what does that tell you? Oh, that the minimum age of this is 12 yeah, years. Yeah, so there might be some 14-year in here. There <clears throat> yeah. might be some 13-year. Um, it doesn't say that it's a single barrel. Correct. So, uh, you know, we're assuming it's a it's a batched, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, barreling or, or bottling, I should say. Um, 
All right, so uh, 101 proof. Smells fantastic. Yeah, yeah. All right. Some of that. So I was nosing some of your stuff in your kit earlier, which was nice because sometimes there's an aroma that I'm like, man, I can't pick it out. I don't know what it is. Yeah. And right now, and I hope it's not because it's one of the last things I smelled, but <laughs> a little bit of toast is what I'm getting right, on this. You know what? I'm going to actually open up my kit. And okay. I'm going to open up the toast one and see what see if see I... See if there's any comparison yeah, there? Yeah, why not? I mean, it's sitting right here. I yeah. brought it out for this reason because we never have it out. We talk about it. And then... Um, and I would like to do this more. I like... I know obviously the kit out. people can't see it. They're listening to us. But yeah, and kind of see... Mainly to call out Tyler's bullshit, right? Oh. So when he's <laughs> like, oh, I smell da-da-da-da. <laughs> and you're like, no, Tyler, it's not there. I think I could get on board with this. Can you get on board with some toast? Yeah, actually. Yeah. It actually lines up pretty well. <laughs> the schnoz does it again. Schnoz. Yeah. No, I mean, that's um, that's pretty dead on, I would say. Yeah. That's kind of cool. And so this is where I'm like, sometimes I'm like, man, I know what that is, but I, I want to say butter, but it's not butter. It's not butterscotch. It was something in between. Yeah. And like for me, this toast is a good um, yeah, I middle ground. Right. There might be a little fruit in here, too. Fruit. Fruit. A little bit of fruit. Maybe like a dark fruit. Ah, the more I lot. get up in here. Yeah, I hear you. So, uh, all right. Have you uh, decided to take a little oh, gander I'm going to the flavor I'm, I'm, Cherry might be the other thing, just like a hint of cherry. Okay. Well, let me uh, destroy my nostrils here. This is good. Um, well, I paid $150. I hope so. Yeah, no, this is good. <laughs> um, oh, I get some vanilla on here now that I went into mm-hmm. my tasting, my, my nosing thing. Wow. The vanilla is like punching me in the nose now that I did the that. So I have this uh, nosing kit that I got from my executive bourbon steward uh, uh, class, basically. And it comes with 36 vials of... Uh, Production aromas and common aromas. And the production aromas are basically the, um, I guess, the byproducts of the distilling process. So, you know, the heads, tails, hearts, you know, different things like the uh, uh, acetone, methanol, ethyl acetate, different things like that. Um, But then also it's got things like the corn, just a pure corn um, whiskey, a pure rye whiskey, a pure wheat whiskey, or distillate, I should say. So you know what those smell like. And then malt as well. Um, just so you can kind of see maybe when you're nosing some, how you might pick up some of those types of things. And um, yeah. Banks is like, I want to smell. Oh, I think he, I get some oak that comes through when I taste well, it. Well, 12 years you should probably. Yeah, no, yeah. I definitely so do. I'm going to dive into mine now. Oh, yeah, the oak is um, definitely present. Mm-hmm. I think that's almost the first thing that hits my tongue. Like I get a little bit of... Um, is astringent the right word? Um, yeah, I know what you mean by that. Like the I, tannins or something. Yeah, kinda. I wasn't so, sure how to describe that when I tasted it, um, but I definitely think it's a tannin thing. Yeah, and then now that I nose it after that, I'm getting the oak in the in the nose. That's good. I don't mind oak. I, I know some people dislike the oak, and if it's overpowering, I could see that. Mm-hmm. But that's a reason why I know some people don't like the Elijah Craig 18 here, for example. They say it's too oaky or it's too, you know, wood-flavored or leather-flavored, you know. And I actually don't mind that. Um, and I think that's one of the things I do like about Elijah Craig 18. No, I've only had one of those that was, um, I think it was for Tyler's 30th birthday. Um, and those are single barrels, so there can be, 
obviously I, I would say there could be a lot of, you know, variance in those, sure. <clears throat> um, with that, you know, age statement and stuff and being a single barrel, but I really like the one that Tyler had for his birthday. Now you have one as well, correct? Yeah, I do. It'd be interesting. And I think his, I, if I do remember correctly, I think his is a little better than mine. Yeah. It'd be interesting to compare the two yeah. sometime, which I don't even know. He may have drank all of his. I don't know. I don't know. But that was his Cinderella bottle. So he may not have either. Yeah. 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 He's always been a huge fan of IW Harper 15, um, Elijah Craig 18 and you know, some other things too. But those were two of like his big bottles that and the, uh, was it Rock Hill Farms? Yeah. That was like another one of his. That's really good, that Rock Hill Farms. Yeah, he definitely good. has some unicorn bottles. He does, yeah. And we've gotten him one of them. Yeah, this is good. I could drink this. Mm-hmm. And it's, what's nice about this is it's only 101 proof. So if you really, truly like this, this is something you could probably sip on for an evening. Do you know what cracks me up about this when I was opening this bottle, that it has a twist-off plastic cap? Yeah, you know what, though? <laughs> I like it, though. It just... <laughs> I think it's the exact same bottle that the uh, Heaven Hill uses. I think it is, too. So it's probably, I mean, that's also a, a screw top, so mm-hmm. it's probably similar. And you know what? Like, you think about things like uh, Weller Antique. That used to be a screw top. Yeah. It used to be a 10 screw top. Yeah. Um, and I think the 12-year, I believe, is still a screw top, I, I think. I think you're right. Um, I've had, the, out of all the Weller, Wellers, <laughs> uh, the... 12 years is the one I've had the least amount. I've only had it once. It wasn't a, a huge fan of it, honestly. Yeah. Um, the foolproof is by far my favorite. Yeah, the 12 is probably my least favorite. Yeah. Um, I I definitely like the foolproof and the 107, old, old mm-hmm. Weller Antique. And then I like the Weller Special Reserve, too, as a very low-end, Yeah. you know, sipping bourbon. It's, it's you know, very easy. Nothing offensive about it. It's not hard to drink because it's there's no proof to it barely. Yeah. That's when I like to take places for people that aren't bourbon drinkers. Yeah. Um, they say they want to try starter. something. Yeah. It is, and so that's another reason Angel's Envy is a good starter for people mm-hmm. because it's got that finish, so it gives it a little bit of sweetness on the uh, back end. People love that bottle too. It's got the angel yeah. wings on Plus it. it. It has looks a special. It looks yeah. unique. People are thinking, "Ooh, you know, yeah, look at this thing." You know, yeah. Judging a book by its cover, man, it has yeah. it has it. Lots of people do it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it burns you, but sometimes it doesn't. So, uh, all right. So let's talk about uh, your the old Forester uh, barrel pick. Uh, what were your first like? I, I guess takeaways from that. What were your big takeaways? Yeah. So um, immediately as the um, I don't know if he's like the head tasting guy or tasting experience. Ian. Um, he was the. I think he was the head of the bot or barrel buying program. Okay, I didn't want to ruin his title. Um, sorry, Ian, if you're listening, but one of my favorite things is as he was leading us to where you do the tasting and stuff was all the history. So I'm, I'm a history nerd with some of that. Yeah. And they had an original bottle from like the 1800s that's behind a glass case. Oh, right. right, That was really cool. The bottle was hand blown because at first I'm looking at it and I'm like, did someone leave that in the sun? Which obviously I know that wouldn't be hot enough to melt glass, but it's like, it's kind of crooked. Like it was something that sat in the sun too long. Yeah. And um, he says that, you know, back then all the bottles were hand blown glass. And I'm like, that is, that's really cool that they have one of those on display unopened. Um, and then they had several different bottles that were, you know, collector's items and stuff on display and they were very cool. And then he took us down and we kind of were underneath the main floor and talking about the history of that area. You know, it used to be like a brothel or something back in the day he said no, was there. It was, a, it was a, a sex club. A sex club. That's what it was. It yeah. Was a sex club. I knew there was something like that. And then there's, you know, we, 
that's a, a an area where like everyone can kind of go to. And then there's this like digital old Forester sign. Um, and it just says, you know, old Forester on it. And the next thing you know, that wall, it slides. Yeah. Right. And it was like a false door. And we went in there and that's where they have, um, I don't think all of it's brewed on site there, is it? I don't think so. They He kept talking about another location, so yeah. I'm assuming there's a secondary location for their stuff. Because there were only three. I think four. Were there maybe. four? Three okay. or four. There were three or four. Um, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for for those right now? I'm drawing a blank. Oh, the fermentation vats? Fermentation, yeah. There were only four of those. But they were all kind of like in different stages, right? One was actively fermenting. One was done. One they had just drained. I think one was like. Yeah, because that one was clean and one was like ready to be drained or something like that. But it was neat to see all those stages. And then they took us into kind of like this private rickhouse where you do your tasting inside the rickhouse. And that was such a cool experience. Um, anyone that follows us on Instagram, those pictures and stuff are up there. But it was there were four of them. Yeah. And um, it was it was just a fantastic experience. Ian did a wonderful job. Oh, yeah. Um, well, and then they, they took us up to the they have a little mini cooperage in. Oh, that's right. I forgot too. about that. So they showed you the process of putting the barrels together. Yeah. Showed you the, the staves that are, you know, what they can look like, how varied they are, because they're not all the exact same right. shape. Um, and how they kind of just fit those staves together. Yeah. It's not like it's not putting a puzzle together. But it's, it is. I mean, those guys, it, it is kind of like putting a puzzle together. Like they can pick the staves yeah. and know what they're doing right away. I guess I meant like they're not. It's not like stave one goes here. Oh, or stave right, two goes. Right, right. Yeah. It's, it's, there's an art to it. Almost. Yes, absolutely. An art to it. Um, and then the, they let uh, James do the, the char. The char. That was really cool. That was cool. Yeah. And I wondered, like, is that the same barrel that just char over and over again? No, it looked like a fresh barrel. Okay. And then it went down the conveyor belt. I didn't pay attention. It looked it looked like it was uncharred before. Okay. That's what I thought. Um, we did get a video of that, and it's on Bourbon Enthusiasts. Uh, I think he posted on his uh, on his, his page. Wall. Yeah. Um, but that was cool. And then and then they take you into the Rick House, and um, there is a platform in the Rick House where you do the barrel tasting. And I don't think they've always used it. Like, there's been times where they haven't used it. And I don't think, like, Mash and Journey did one. And I don't think theirs was done there. I think they did it in a special room from the pictures that I saw. So, um, and I think he had even addressed that, saying that sometimes they're in there, sometimes they're not. It just depends on what's going on in the Rick House. And there was lots of history, too, like, leading up to getting to that area, right? So, before the Cooperage... And stuff. They had some like antique signs and pictures. And, yeah, yeah, and it was really right. neat. Um, I loved, and so it was cool because they had some really old ones that had the double R in Old Forester. Um, and and I didn't know that there yeah. used to be a Doctor Forester, and that's kind of where it all started. Right. Initially, it was with Doctor Forester, and then he said it's kind of vague on you know when and where they dropped the R. It could have been you know because they didn't want to pay him copyright, you know, stuff, or who knows what would have happened. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was, again, I didn't know that, you know, Dr. Forrester used to make this medicinal, you know, bourbon to sell to people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so I thought that was interesting, too. Plus, you got to go by their little computer lab. You could see the oh, current yeah. uh, ABV of the distillate at that time. And it was so clear that distillate yeah. coming out, oh, like yeah. actively, you know, right. draining that. That is cool. Um, now, other places I've been, they let you take a taste of it at that mm -hmm. point or put it in your hands and then, like, rub it and Like, slap smell it and the smell corn. it. Yeah, yeah. I've done that. So at, like, that, Lux Road, yeah, they Lux did Road that. Yeah, Lux Road did that. Angel's Envy does that, too. A couple other places, like, have done that in different times. Like, I know, depending on the tour you do at Buffalo Trace, like, if Freddie does it, like, if you watch Neat, mm -hmm. he yeah. had some white dog and lets you, you know, That's do cool. that talks you through it. Um, but that kind of, you know, another topic, I guess, that, uh, you know, sour mash versus sweet mash. 
you know. That, oh yeah. So a lot of people you'll see sour mash on the on the actual uh, label. They you know they brag about it, or sometimes they say sweet mash. And uh, do you know the difference between the two? Um, no. Go ahead and and fill us in here. So. Sour mash, I guess almost all of the major distilleries use sour mash. Mm-hmm. And basically, if you're doing sour mash, um, you know, you have it basically requires 100% uptime for the most part. Um, but uh, it also saves like energy. Um, they use some of what they call the back set. And uh, they help it helps it maintain the pH and uh, where they leave like a little leftover. They don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because uh, from the distillate. Yeah, because I was thinking of like that versus the Solera process. I yeah. wanted to make sure I didn't confuse those two. So no, the Solera pro- process is where the the once it's aged, they put it into a, a bottling vat basically, mm-hmm. and then it never empties. They just continuously add to it as they're barreling. After it's aged, though. that's more the Solera process. And this is more yeah. of like the mash. This is the mash itself. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they'll save some of the mash. They call it backset. Um, and it basically helps maintain the pH, which also helps uh, prevent the yeast from dying out and stuff like that. But it also acts as a feedstock for the yeast, so it kind of kickstarts mm. that that uh, fermentation. Um, I think the calcium and magnesium has something to do with that. I don't know, but it also uses thirty percent less water to to do that. Uh, so there's you know something there. But it also helps maintain the flavor consistency. So you so the sour mash you know it it, it does a lot for them. I think economically. Mm-hmm. Um, but also scientifically, it also, I think, helps produce a better product as well or a consistent product. I'm sure it keeps that yeast strain healthy, too, that yeast strain, I should say, healthy and, yeah. and from dying off because that's a huge part of it. Yeah, and so like with a sweet mash, for example, they're not using any back set. It's 100% from scratch clean water as opposed to back set. Um, and then it's usually smaller producers that are using that unless mm-hmm. it's a large producer that's just, you know, doing that on purpose, you know, wanting to use sweet mash for a, a specific reason or something like that. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's sour mash and sweet mash. And everything has to be one or the other, correct? The way, yeah, the way I it mean, sounds. You could probably do some sort of mixture between a sweet mash and a sour mash. I don't know that anyone does. Yeah. I mean, I don't see why you couldn't. I mean, there's nothing preventing you from doing it. Once you choose one, that you don't have to stay with it. But you would have to be... So, like, if you see a column pot still, mm-hmm. um, those are genu- generally in uh, continuous production. So, a lot of times that's going to be a sour mash. Um, you know, th- those column stills, one of the reasons they use a column still is because that can be used continuously versus a pot still is done a batch at a time. Um, and so, that brings us to the different types of dis- distillations, I guess. You have pot still, column still, and then you have some that are combos. Um, so you can actually have a combination pot and column still. So it's like it looks like a pot still on the bottom, but then it actually has the column still to the mm-hmm. top of it. It's kind of neat looking. Um, in fact, they had one at the um, Moonshine University place. And at Old Forester, that's something cool to, to bring up too. And the elevator that we were on, the elevator it has like a glass door, like not the doors open and close, but I guess it'd be the backside of it. The wall mm-hmm. was all glass. And as we went up, you kind of go up with the column still, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. That was neat. And it, so you could see that as you were going up. Yeah. I got a pretty cool, I think, video of it while we were going down the elevator. Didn't we get a good picture in front of the column still, too, I thought? Yeah, but it was on James's phone. I don't think we have a copy of it. Oh. So I have to ask him to text me one. But, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Um, so let's let's move on to the old Forester 117 okay. series. And then we're, while we're doing that one, we'll talk about, like, nosing and tasting. Just kind of some tips and tricks for that. Um 
And while he's doing that, you know, there's a, I know one of my, uh, our good friends over at the Bourbon Road, they always have a, a phrase or a saying, they say, you're a bourbon your way. So, you know, the, the, there's, it depends on the forums and things like that you drink. I know people will go into a forum and post a picture of like pappies beside a bottle of Coke just to piss just people to stir, off, you know, yeah, stir, stir up, up shit. shit. Um, but basically, you know, there's there's a group of people out there that would think the only way you can drink bourbon is neat or at worst with maybe a cube, mm-hmm. you know. But to be honest, I my feelings are. So I'm twofold on this. I do believe your bourbon your way. I might cringe a little if someone takes a really nice bourbon and adds it to like ginger ale or Coke or something yeah, like that. I completely but you agree know with that. If they bought their bourbon. And it's not bourbon you're offering to them, and they yeah. and they want to do that to it, then that's the that's on them. That's yeah. fine. That's their deal. Now, I, I mean, and I started with ginger ale, mm-hmm. and I slowly backed off my ginger ale. Eventually, became neat, and now that's really pretty much all I drink, unless I'm going outside for a hot day or something. And I'd even be okay with something that's a really high proofs. And, and again, we're not talking like like adding a drop or two or yeah. a cube and letting yeah. it yeah, you know, doing yeah. like a small cube and something that's like 130 proof. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, I, I'm not doing it. But. Right, and I'll do it on a hot day when I go yeah. like to a door somewhere, and mm-hmm. I and I want to enjoy it and not just like plow through it. I'll add right. a big cube, pour in a big thing of Buffalo Trace, and it'll it'll proof it down a little bit, and I can drink it a little bit longer, and it's a little more refreshing because it's cool, mm-hmm. you know. But that's not my go-to. That's not my normal. That's just when we go outside on a hot yeah. day to somewhere. And like longevity, right? You're, you yeah. want it to last you, you a while. You want it to last a little bit longer and you want that flavor of the bourbon. Yeah. And and in fact, uh, Greg Metz says that when he does tasting of bourbon to see if it's oh, any yeah. good, they proof it down to actually 40 proof mm-hmm. so they can taste the inconsistencies or any anything that shouldn't be there. They can taste it better when it's a lower proof. So like, a lot of the proofing tastings and things like that he's doing, he's doing it 40 proof just to taste the distillate and, yeah, to, and that's, taste the, that's the smart. aging. Yeah. And you're not overwhelmed by any alcohol or anything like that. Well, he said it brings mm-hmm. out, you know, those, the, the unwanted characteristics. It brings those out. Mm-hmm. And if, if they're there, you'll taste it better in the 40 proof and stuff. So, um, but yeah, so I mean, a, an argument could be said that you can learn more about a bourbon at those lower proofs. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. I'm not, that's not my job, but. Um, so let's talk about nosing and things like that. So there's a lot of different things I've read on nosing. Same. Um, and we've been to different tastings. They've told us different things on nosing. Um, you know, the, the big one that I, that I tend to go to is everyone's right hand dominant, left hand dominant, maybe they're ambidextrous, whatever. But with your nose, it actually switches dominance every like 15 minutes or something mm-hmm. like that. It might be every hour, but it's I think it's like every fifteen minutes. So mm-hmm. like you might be left nose dominant one one minute and then the next minute you might all you know, just be right nose dominant. So when you're nosing bourbon, use both nostrils. Um, but when you're nosing bourbon, and especially as the proof goes up, don't just <laughs> dive your nose into the glass. These glasses, if you're drinking out of a Glencairn, and I do recommend drinking out of something like a Glencairn or a Kinsey Dram yeah, or something absolutely. that has a curved that kind of can concentrate the aromas at the top. So it's a little bulbous at the bottom, but a little more concentrated at the top because of a smaller opening. Drink out of something like that if you're drinking it neat. 
or if you're trying to nose it or whatever and taste it because it does make a difference. It does concentrate those uh, those aromas and those flavors. And you can even kind of waft it to you, you know what I mean, a little bit as well. You know, it's yeah. a little harder with the Glencairn, but if you're new to it and you're worried about, like, burning your nose, keep it a little well, far away. And for that purpose, if you are new to it, again, don't just dive your nose mm-hmm. into it. Go in slowly with your nose. Rest it right above, and I usually rest the glass right above my upper lip. And I don't dive my nose into it. I stick my nose just above it, and then I breathe through my mouth. But you take a deep breath through your mouth and breathe all the way into your chest. And it'll it'll just kind of by, what is it, induction? Is that right? I think so, yeah. Something like that. It'll actually pull through your nose, and you'll get the, you'll get the aroma in your nose. Um, and you'll get, sometimes you get a little more of a subtle nosing out of it that way. But do it from both nostrils. And then if you're feeling like it's not giving you too much, you can dig your nose in there a little further and do the same thing. Just leave your mouth open and breathe through your mouth. And, and if you don't put your tongue on the, roof of your, on the roof of your mouth, you'll actually breathe a little through mm-hmm. your nose. If you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth, you're not going to get crap. But if you leave your mouth open, breathe in deep, and leave your tongue not on the roof of your mouth, you'll pull stuff in. It's almost like you can like chew some of it, as dumb as that yeah. sounds. Speaking of which, we do have the old Forster 117 series in our glass now, and we're nosing it as I'm talking about it. Are you getting as good of a nose out of this, this as I am? This smells amazing. This is one of the best smelling bourbons <laughs> to date that I can think of. Are you getting like the banana, the marshmallow? Oh, banana and marshmallow. It's like a like a banana meringue or something. You know what I mean? Like a dessert. Yeah. Like Trina, Trina had this, and, uh, you know... So we've come up with a new term, so we call her Trampy, right? <laughs> um, lovingly, it's not a it's not a derogatory thing. And uh, so when she approves of something, we're going to give it the tramp stamp. Oh, I like it. <laughs> it gets <laughs> the tramp the stamp. tramp stamp of approval. <laughs> so uh, this one's got a tramp stamp for sure because she she really loved this. This has actually been dessert. her favorite bourbon wow. of all time so far. This is it smells. Absolutely wonderful. I wish I had like four of these bottles. You have two. I have two. I'm excited about it. I know. I am. So speaking of which, we were at Old Forester. We did the tasting. And at the end, they made these available to us. So we were able to get these. And we, uh, the The bourbon chirpa guy gave us those. uh, Do you want one of those? Oh, I was just saying like that they gave us those as well. I don't care. Yeah, I might have to go grab one. What were those called? Do you remember? Mahalers or Mahilas or something? But they're basically like marshmallow-covered chocolates with, I don't know what else was in it. There's like some caramel in it, I think. Yeah, I think you're right, because it was a little gooey, like, stickiness inside of it. Um, But, oh, those were so good, Mm -hmm. weren't they? There's like maybe a little salt in them, too, to kind of help balance all the sweetness. Salted caramel with a marshmallow and chocolate around it. i got to finally taste this. Um, Oh, that's really good. You like it? What do That's you, very what do you good. It? It, it's still that same dessert coming through. Like, for some reason, like, banana meringue just keeps coming to me. Banana meringue. Banana meringue, yeah. All right. I just, with the nose, I haven't drank it yet, but with the nose, I get tons of just banana, marshmallow. Or like banana pudding or something even, like that. I don't know, but it's just ridiculous, man. Like that pudding with, like, the vanilla wafers in it and stuff. And you know what sucks is we're going to do I remember loving this Starlight Double Oaked uh, Chocolate Wasted from Master Oh, Dragon. yeah. I hope it still tastes good after <laughs> this. 
I think they'll complement each other well because they're both yeah, dessert-like. Yeah, one's a chocolatey kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I, I hope so. But, man, this is so damn good, is it not? This, it's amazing. So Trina and I had this last week. I think it was Thursday after we got back. We got back on Wednesday. And I think on Thursday we had this. And I've been thinking about it ever since. Yeah, I'm going to open mine soon. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to have another to. bottle. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, they are 375s, which I wish, obviously, they were right. 750s. But well, we got the equivalent of a 750. <laughs> Agree. And but, you know what? I'm very grateful that they let cool, us. What's cool, though, the fact that we could that we have two 375s, the equivalent of two of a 750 is we can leave one closed and sealed mm-hmm. and stored away and come to it later, and it'll be like it's never been touched, you know? Right, because... I'll drink through it faster if it was a single 750 yeah, as opposed to 375. I know. I'm treating this thing with kid gloves right now, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was I so, know. so good. This I is was so like good. trying to pour like so lightly as I was pouring I, them in. Yeah. No, I, I, listen. I, I gave you the it. heavier of the two for I sure. I want to drink it. I'm not worried about it, man. Enjoy it. That's why I, I don't get too stingy with my bourbon. There's a couple that I've been like holding back. But if someone comes here and they want to drink it, they're going to have some. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just how it is. I don't, you know me. I don't give a oh, shit. Yeah. I share my bourbon. I don't care. That's one of the things, and I hate to say that neat documentary. It's not cheesy. It's not. I, I love that documentary. But one of the things it's that I... It's a little I, cheesy, but it's a good cheesy. It is. One of the things that I took from that that really I loved is when Freddie tells the story about that like 23-year-old pappy that was gifted yeah. to them. And he and his dad and their brother, I think it is, um, were drinking it. And, you know, he says he learned more about his dad in that night. Because he, he went to put it away, right? He poured yeah. everyone a pour. He's like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, you leave, you know, you drink this when you're with family and good times and good friends. Right. And he talks about that he learned more about his dad that day than he ever knew about his dad. Yeah. And then his dad passed shortly after. And like, it kind of hits you in the feels, you know what I mean? Oh, it really yeah. does. And it's like, wow. That was about the only, that was probably the biggest heart in the whole documentary. Yeah. Like that moment, it was like, like you'll tear up a little bit. Like, even me just uh, thinking about that scene, I get a little, my eyes start sweating yeah. just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and it makes you realize, like, that's what it's all about. It's about your friends. It's not about, you well, know, we'll oh, I'm going to hoard this all for myself yeah. and, and stuff. And we talk, and that's the thing I get pissed off about. Like, there's a good meme out right now that shows, I, I think it might even be from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And it shows, uh, it shows, basically, I think it's, I can't remember if it's Danny DeVito or someone else, but it's basically someone at the top of a roof reaching down to help someone up. And it says bourbon hunters and then, or bourbon, I think it said bourbon hunters. And then it below that, it shows the same exact scene, but it says bourbon flippers. And instead of him reaching a hand down, he's like basically pushing a stick. Uh, down. I have seen that. And it's basically saying like the bourbon flippers are like, you know, fuck you. This is ours. Right. Whereas the bourbon hunters are like, here, here, I can Trying help you find share. this or yeah. share or help you find it. Or, you know, if you see someone like one of the things I love about the forums is you see someone who's actually um, had something happen or, you know, some they had a birth on that date and they want a bottle of blends with that, mm-hmm. you know, fill date on it. I tell you what, man, you put they put it in those forums and within 24 hours, usually someone has found it for yeah. them. And that's awesome. There's a good one on Reddit that I follow, and I don't remember what the name of it is, but it's something bourbon on Reddit. And there's sometimes some cool stories on that and just, you know, reviews. And then a lot – I love, too, there was a guy, one I just read, where it was a guy's first time on the bourbon trail. And he talks about his first time on the bourbon trail with his friends, and I think he was someone that was retired. And it was just cool. Like, I enjoy, you know, people enjoying that, you know, reading about it. No, it's cool. I mean, it's there's some humanity about bourbon. There's – 
camaraderie, you yeah, know. And it's just like you said, like we started this podcast. I think it was just kind of a goofy idea to start with. Mm-hmm. But now, like, it's one of the things I look forward to every week is we just get to sit down, drink some bourbon. We talk about our week. Yeah, decompress, you know, from the week prior. And yeah, and, like, I know you guys are kind of invited into our into our living room, if you will, or our bourbon sitting room or whatever to hear our stories. So you guys probably know as much about us as anyone does. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it, for me, that's what bourbon's like. And it, in my head, I think when people are sitting around, unless they're listening to it in a car or something like that, People sitting around listening to this podcast, they're also having a bourbon. Having a drink, yeah. Just listening to us like they're in yeah. the room, and they're hearing our stories and getting to know us. Like, my my dream at some point, it's kind of goofy. Here's the the cheesy, you know, <laughs> neat, neat moment. Is we're no somewhere, pun intended. We're somewhere, and we run into someone who listens to the podcast, and they know about us, and they say something, oh, my gosh, when you guys were talking about this, yeah, you know, that really meant this, or that really, you know, hit me here, or just whatever, because we talk about a lot of stuff in here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think we get too deep, but we at least, no. you know, people know what's going on with our lives. It's kind of funny. You Watch know? this as it'll happen. They'll be like, that time that Tyler talked about wrecking his golf cart, that really, <laughs> that, that, that really, <laughs> really resonated really with me. I really connected with that. <laughs> He's walking around with a big scar. He's got jerky legs. That'll be the one. <laughs> oh, shit. That's funny. This bottom line is absolutely amazing. Phenomenal, right? Absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's so good. So good. Thank you, Ian, if you're listening. For, yes, thank you, uh, Ian. Having that available to us afterwards, man. This really is, appreciate this is it. outstanding. I, we would have never gotten it otherwise. No. Because from what I understand, the media samples for this, they're just, I don't I don't know if they just didn't have enough of it this time or or what, but, you know, we didn't get a media sample of this one. You know, we got a media sample of the second one. Oh, yeah, we did get a media sample of the... Was the Jackie send us that when we had her on the show? It wasn't her, but it was the yeah, PR person. Yeah. yeah, it was for having her on the show. Yeah, and that was the second iteration of it. You said, yeah, it was. It was the series, the second in the series. Okay, and I think it was like the Warehouse K or something like that. Oh, that's right. It was Warehouse K. For some reason, I remember that. Thanks. Go, go, bud. Go. You want to go outside? Go. There he goes. It's like, yep, I do want to go outside. <laughs> actually, now that you mention it. I would like to go outside very much. So, he's getting there. Yeah, he's so he's so peculiar. But I can he, tell he's quirky. He's very quirky. Yeah, but he's a good dog. So, uh, what else? What else? We t- I mean, what other things you hear about? Like when we're talking about bourbon, or people ask about bourbon. Um, you know, one of the trends I feel like I'm I'm seeing right now is like finished bourbons. Finished bourbons are very trendy. I agree. Yeah. Um, the Blood Oath is actually getting more notoriety. Yeah. So I remember a few years ago, <clears throat> you know, not a lot of people talked about Blood Oath. I had heard about it a little bit. You know, we had went to Lux Row and I was able to grab one that time. But now, man, so I was at... Um, yeah, they sell out pretty fast. They now. do. Press Pub on Fifth Avenue, which, oh my God, I love their food. They have a great bourbon selection. Do they? You said you haven't been there. I haven't been there. Um, they've had Stag before. They had the new Blood Oath. Mm-hmm. And there were these couple guys in there, man, they were going ape shit over that Blood Oath. The new The Blood new Oath. one, yeah. And it was unopened. And that's, a, what a, that's like an apple brandy or something, The whatever the finish is this year. I, it was something that I honestly... Didn't really know what it was finished in. I think it's it may an, have been I think a brandy. An apple brandy. I think it might have been brandy. a brandy. Um, but but it's w- not called that. It's it's got a fancy it, name. Yes, exactly. And what I like about the Blood Oath, it's not like regular finished uh, bourbons. Uh, generally, the way I understand it, they they have like let's say it's a batch of three different uh, bourbons. Mm-hmm. They blend or mix three different bourbons, 
and one of those bourbons is finished. Yeah. So it's always subtle. It's never in your face on the finish. It's a, it's always a subtle um, finish to it, in my opinion. Some of them have been better than others. Some of them have been phenomenally better than others. The rum one we hands down like. Oh, the rum's so good. So good. I think uh, the rum's my favorite out of everything I've had. I, I think we've only, we haven't had the original three, right? So I was talking about this with someone at work. He thinks the original three um, weren't finished. I think you're maybe right. And and I know it, I feel like at one point the first couple weren't. Yeah. It might have been three. And then it was like four, five, six. They started doing that, that, finishing. And that could be. I'd have to, we'd have to, again, not prepared. Wasn't prepared to talk about Blood Oath. Yeah, same. Thanks a lot, Brett. <laughs> Bringing up shit I'm not ready for. Um, but no, I think you're right. Um, but there were some, I kind of got like derailed. Well, was, I did that by yeah. saying the no, you're good. right now is, you know, finished. Yeah. So that's, um, so that's a big thing right now. Like I see Starlight playing with that a lot. Like when we went there to do the barrel pick with Bourbon Enthusiasts, they, they had a ton of, uh, finished experimental type things there, uh, from double oak to, you know, different, different types of alcohol finishes and things like that. There was a, a ton that they were doing. Um, so there was a lot uh, there. I, and so one of my favorites that I've had so far recently has been honey finished. Yeah. Um, I've got two of them. I've got a starlight that's honey finished. And then I've got a Nulu that was honey finished. And I believe, I think the Nulu came from, uh, Jason, Jason, he, he I brought think, that on the show, over. I think. Well, and he dropped it off and left it here and said we could have it. That's awesome. And then I think the, uh, starlight one was from bourbon enthusiast. So those two, I've put them head to head and they're both freaking phenomenal. Well, I had never heard of a honey barrel until he was telling me, and I was like, holy crap, that sounds like a lot of work. It does, but it also sounds like a lot of flavor. Oh, and it is a lot of it flavor. Is. It was yeah. so good. All right, so I am now done with that 117. I want some more of it. I do, too. I know. So, that is I, so good. God. It's every once in a while a bottle like that comes along mm-hmm. that you're just like, hmm, this is really, really good. And I hope, I hope that this isn't just a product of Jackie and that Old Forester continues to do some really neat stuff with this type of thing because some of the stuff she's put out, you know, we're helping with the Whiskey Row series, uh, the, this um, this 117 series. Yeah. It's it's just been... She's going to be hard to be... Repl- she's going to be hard to replace. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I mean, and what they start doing from here forward, I think, might help. I mean, they could just go idle and keep doing what they're doing and probably still do well. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what they do to kind of be inventive or not just be complacent if they do, if they do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a good point. They may not do anything for a while. And they may not need to. I mean, what they're doing right now is actually pretty well. Their barrel mm-hmm. strength program um, their 100 proof barrel pick program, their 117 series. Now, I think she has a huge hand in the 117 series. Yeah, I think so. So, too. so deciding what that next one might be, they may have already had it planned out. She might have already mm-hmm. mapped out what their. I don't know how long the planning process is for something. It's like a good that. point. It may be the next year is already planned out, or the next two years. I don't know either. Right, and how much did her flavor profile come into play with the blending and and deciding, you know, how something finished or was you know. 
did they come up with the ideas and she just tasted and said, you know what, that's great. That's a good point too. So like were they already coming up with the ideas without her and she tasted it and said, oh, yeah, this is it? That's the one, yeah. Or was she coming up with the ideas and tasting it? I mean, I know her, she was a master taster, right? Mm-hmm. So, But she was adamant she didn't want to be a distiller. Yeah, she did say that. Which she I did, think is good. Right. She she didn't want to be called master distiller when yeah. she wasn't doing any distilling. So I think her move to Hidden Barn was probably the right thing for her, and she could maybe continue doing some more stuff and creating another, you know, uh, legacy, if you will. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, let's let's pour that Starlight. Uh, we're over an hour now, so let's 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 wrap this Do up. You want to rinse one of yours there because we only brought enough. Uh, I think those have been used. These are mine. Oh, they are? From earlier. Yeah, those are used. Oh, then I'll have to rinse. Yeah. yeah. Let me rinse. I are rinsed, these all mine right here? Those are all yours. Okay. I rinsed my old Forrester one because it was the best. <laughs> and if there was going to be any flavor left over, I wanted it to be that one. That's funny. So, um, yeah, like another thing that I feel like I wanted to talk about was, uh, you know, for me, we've got, um, what did I, I had it sitting out here. Damn it. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> there we go. There, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, shit. Well, we were just talking about finishing, right? And Finished bourbons. Oh, yeah, I got it now. So, age versus maturity. So, is that like you're old but you're not mature? Is that like what you're saying? <laughs> As related to bourbon. <laughs> but kind of, in a sense. So, there's a... <sighs> A lot of people like to say, oh, yeah, this this is uh, aged very well or whatever. Or like it's a, you know, it's, it's they, they, I feel like they misuse the word age mm-hmm. versus maturity. This is a chocolate bomb, not to cut you off. Right, I know. So this one is, uh, so, so introduce this. is 108 proof, right? This is 108 proof, um, aged four years in American oak. Um, this is the double oaked bourbon whiskey from Carl T, or Starlight Distillery. Carl T. Hubert. Um, it's a Mash and Journey single barrel pick. Yes. And uh, it is outstanding from what I remember. I yeah. have not noticed this pouring yet, but... It's still a chocolate bomb. Is it? I mean, I can't imagine it would have gone away. Yeah. But I remember him talking about it, and he was like, it's... What's know. interesting is in the nose, I can get some corn. I can it? too. It's a grain for yeah. me, but yeah. I, I translate grain to corn. Yeah, well, with bourbon, that's a very easy yeah. thing to do. But uh, sometimes you get the rye. Sometimes the rye has such a, a uh, you know, uh, presence mm-hmm. that uh, you can smell that as well. But I get some corn on this. I do too. So for me, maturity is comes with aging. So like. For example, Texas, very hot. That heat keeps it just soaking in the wood. So so if you look at a Texas whiskey or a Texas bourbon that's only two years old, those things are dark mm-hmm. because they spent so much time in the wood. Mm-hmm. And then I think that there's a big there's a big group of people that I think love their Texas whiskeys. And I think for you to love a Texas whiskey, you almost have to to like a corn-forward whiskey or bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like the corn flavor stays 
And what you're introducing early is oak. But what you're skipping, in my opinion, this is purely my opinion, let the hate mail come in, is that you're missing the oxidation. Oxidation is such a I huge... I think it's a huge part, yes. Well, but it's a huge understated part of the aging or maturing of bourbon. So, you know, you talk about these places that are trying to find uh, quickly aged things, mm-hmm. like things to kind of skirt the process, like some of them play music and it's supposedly the vibration shakes it and makes it go in contact with the wood. And that's that's great. You're, you know, it's almost like what you get with the oak bottle stuff and uh, those smaller... Um, Surf, it's more surface area into the wood. Yeah, I mean... So like for, you know for the liquid is more surface area. But but the the problem is is that you get less interaction with the oxygen. Because you fill it up in a in a smaller container or in a container where it just hasn't had a chance to have as much evaporation because of the heat um and you then you don't get as much time with that oxygen. I think that that just causes a premature maturation, if you will. Um I know that's kind of a weird no, and statement, but kind of along that same line, and I might be the oddball in saying this, but I really like the Jefferson's Ocean line, mm-hmm. and I think some of that has to do with, you know, it's it's on those barges out at sea, and it sloshes around in those barrels, and I think that helps the oxidation process. Well, it's gimmicky in the sense that it, it creates more contact with the barrel. It's sloshing yeah. around, like you said, but that sloshing around, it probably does, think about like a uh, an aquarium. Yeah. You know, you don't leave an aquarium like the way they tell you to to It's not uh, stagnant. You right. Know that. They don't they the way they tell you to set your filter isn't just to have a current inside, it's also to agitate the the surface area. Mm-hmm. The surface area of or the surface water, I should say. The surface water, you want to break that cohesion at the top mm-hmm. of the water. That's a good word. So that uh you know how like if you ever if you ever jumped off of a bridge. Mhm. And you jumped into a still pond versus a river that has agitation. It hurts like a mother yeah, to if, jump into a still yeah. water because they they equate it depending on how high you jump from of landing on cement when mm-hmm. the water's still because that cohesion actually creates a very solid surface, even though you break into it obviously and and but that initial contact can be very very damaging to your body if it's if it's a still surface. So like if you're jumping into a body of water from a high dis- from a high uh you know a d- uh elevation you want to make sure that that water's moving. So like throw something down first. So you'll see guys throw a rock down yeah. and then they yeah, jump yeah. right after right. it to break that. Yeah. And that's that's because you want to break mm-hmm. that surface tension, that cohesion of the water. Um and uh so I think that you do the same thing in an aquarium so that it adds oxygen to the water. Mm-hmm. And it, it helps release, you know, the some of the gases and, and absorb more of the oxygen. I think the same thing is true probably with that Jefferson's Oceans. It's a little gimmicky, but I think that it does actually create some oxidation. I think it helps create oxidation just the way that it's... And I think that that's what some of these places that are saying, you know, they're adding music to it to help speed up the... the they'll say to speed up the aging process, but it doesn't... I don't feel like it truly does because... Time is the only thing. Time mm-hmm. is one of those things you can't take away. Time matters when it comes to that stuff. You might be able to do some things to help speed up some things, but time really truly makes a difference. It, I mean, it, it, it plays a huge role, and it's one of those understated things that people don't talk about. Um, so last thing I wanted to talk about, just bourbon in general. Mm-hmm. So we talked about 
the the primary grain has to be corn, which means 51% has to be corn, right? It'd be an interesting question, not to cut you off, but like there's obviously different um, varieties of corn and strain of corn Mm -hmm. and how much that plays into account for taste. That's a great point. Jeff the Creed, they use, uh, what is it called, the uh, blood corn or something like that? Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, So it creates a different flavor. Yeah. I think there's a one in Texas that uses blue corn. Oh, that's kind of cool. And then there's uh, Balcones, I believe. Um, There's a couple of them like that 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 use different corns. But, yeah, so so that is a thing. Um, But so the primary grain has to be corn. So 51% or higher. It could be 99%. It could be 100%. Um, The secondary, so like if you hear someone talk about it being a rye bourbon, that means the secondary grain is rye. Mm -hmm. So it's a bourbon. Because they said rye bourbon, so that means at least 51% of it is corn. The secondary grain, meaning the second highest, would be rye. Generally speaking, most bourbons have... My lips closed. Most, <laughs> it was water. I'm not worried. Uh, most bourbons have um, three grains. Most. So you'll have your primary, your secondary, and your tertiary grains. Your tertiary grains usually the malted barley. And they use malted barley to help kind of... Uh, uh, for one, I think some believe it adds a nice flavor and a balance oh, yeah. to the to the flavor, but it also helps with the fermentation process, the barley, the malted barley. Um, so usually you'll see at least a five percent malted barley in a uh, in a in a bourbon. Not always, <coughs> but you usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, like I think uh, Old Elk, if I remember, goes a little higher than that. They're like ten to fourteen percent or something like that. Is it that high? I can't. Yeah, remember. I, can, I can't remember either. But it's but it's a little higher if I remember right. Um, so, and a lot of times with that malted barley, you'll get some things like, um, you know, like a chocolate note, um, you know, I get chocolate multi, off, multi yeah. chocolate, almost like, uh, well, what are those things called? Those candies, uh, malt balls or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like almost like a malt yeah. ball or, uh, I think that's the right word. Malt balls. Uh, is that right? Milk balls, malted milk balls. They used to call those. Yeah. But there's a, there's a brand. Oh shit. I don't know. And I can't remember what they're called either, but anyway, um, not goobers, right? Those aren't. Uh, no, I don't, there's some. There's a brand. Um, I think it's goober. I don't know. That's like movie fucking candy. Uh, I don't. Yeah. yeah, but there are some things like that that are like malted chocolate balls mm-hmm. that you can buy. Um, but a lot of people will say that it. You know, the higher the the malted barley content, the the more you'll get of that type of note. Um. So so that's you know the the other thing. So, uh, the other direction you might go and and most of the bourbon out there is rye based bourbon so corn over 50 percent rye the the secondary uh but then you'll run into some things like maker's mark like larceny that are wheated bourbons so again corn's the primary grain Mm -hmm. but instead of it being rye they'll have you know wheat as the secondary grain Uh, and then some places like uh middle west spirits for example they use a four grain so they'll use wheat rye malted barley, and corn. Mm-hmm. So corn's still the primary. It still has to be 51%. Wheat's still the secondary. Well, in that not nece- but not necessarily. I mean, yeah. if it's a four grain, it could be rye, could be the secondary. Wheat could be the tertiary or, or vice versa. And then malted barley is usually the, the, the last one. I don't know what the word is for that. I think it's like quaternary. 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 Quaternary, yeah. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Quadracentric. <laughs> four square. Um so yeah, I mean that's that's how that all plays in. So, you know, uh, uh, as long as it's bottled over eighty proof, it can be a bourbon. Um, I don't know that there's a limit to how high the um, 
proof can be in a bottle, but I, I know that. So. But I know that one twenty five is the most it can go into the a barrel. barrel. So, um, but yeah, I, I think you'd have to be in a funky environment to get up too much higher than one thirty five, one thirty seven, one thirty eight, something like that. But um, so what's I, the highest proof bourbon you had? I've had like a one. <laughs> That one Jack Daniels from Bourbon Enthusiast might be the highest for me. It's yeah. like one thirty two, and then we one thirty four. Didn't we have the what they called the hazmat Elijah Craig at uh, Barrel Proof at uh, Jason's? Oh shit, we might have. I thought that might have been like a one thirty eight or something. He got me really drunk that night, Jason. Thanks, Dick. <laughs> I mean, I'm not complaining. It was a great time. No, it was fun. That was that was actually one of our better like episodes because we got to taste some stuff we've never had. Oh yeah, I mean that was really cool. The Polish Blantons and well, but yeah, uh, the but blue. We all we were tasting Four Roses Limited Edition. We were tasting some of the BTAC stuff. Yeah, I mean, we were all over the board that night. That blue note that was oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I, that was one note. of my favorites. As random as that was, yeah. yeah. Um, and I love that he set up a blind for us. I know I'm derailing, but I love no, that no, no. that he set up the blind. But again, that's that's the thing that's crazy about bourbon is like, you know, vodka is pretty standard across the board, mm-hmm. right? Uh, gins can have some different things added to them, some different, you know, florals and things like that that can be added in. But, um, you know, bourbon, it has to be at least 51% corn, but you can change it up. And, and you know, one of the things that the unsung hero, I, I feel like, of flavors of bourbons, the yeast strain. Yeah, definitely. So the yeast strain, a lot of times is what gives birth and they, I think that's one of those understated things too. And that they keep really secretive their yeast strain, right? Yeah. Like people will talk about their mash bill yeah, right, and yeah. stuff, but they won't talk about their well, yeast and strain. And that's one of the things with uh Pappies. They mm-hmm. think the uh, old Stitzel Weller uh yeast strain that was used for Pappy is they think is lost forever. Yeah. Either that or it's sitting in a vault, but it's going unused right now. Yeah. Whatever whatever it was. And that twenty three year is not going to be the same twenty three year before too long. We may already be there. That's true. I can't remember. I think, was it 2002? So it might be yeah, another three years. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that I mean, the interesting thing is supposedly, and again, it might just be sitting, Diageo may have it somewhere in a vault. They may have that strain sitting there, but that strain is no longer in use. So the Stitzel Weller Pappies, I mean, those are pretty much done and over. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a... And I think, you know what, I think those are all done and over anyway. I think they went to a, I think they went somewhere else to get some of their uh, barrels to as a stopgap between the Stitzel Wellers and the, if I remember right, from the Pappy Land book. Were those single barrels, those Pappy 23s, or no? I don't know. I don't know. I've never had any of that. You're asking me questions I'm not prepared yeah. for. Yeah. Next time on Bourbon <laughs> Hunters. <laughs> we will forget that we talked about this. <laughs> Um, no, but if you haven't had a chance to read Pappy Land, I'll tell you what, that was a good book. Is that about like the, is that the like Pappy Gate that they talk about in there where the guy they, was selling that shit? they may bring it up partially, okay. but that's not what it's about at all. Okay. The, the Pappy Land is about, uh, the grandson of Pappy and his, basically his journey to get Pappy back in business, basically. Okay. Ending with the Buffalo Trace purchase and, and him doing, like, the first tastings of the what would soon be Pappy's moving forward from Buffalo Trace. Um, but he's... So the guy, the writer, um, it's uh, Wright Thompson. He is a, an ESPN contributor as well. 
And that's cool. somehow he got into the writing this Pappy Land book. And so it, he took a different track with this. He actually is writing a story about their friendship. And it's like in parallel with this whole Pappy stuff. And he tells the history of some of the Pappy stuff. He tells the history of some of the Sitzel Weller stuff while they're attending these Sitzel Weller, you know, uh, uh, galas and, and going mm-hmm. to Buffalo Trace to taste the new Pappy. He talks about what he did when Stitzel Weller initially was like uh, sold off to Diageo and how he, uh, the, the grandson, went off and was trying to basically uh, um, keep Pappy going. He, he was using this like dilapidated warehouse or uh, whatever That's it wild. was to, to bottle the Pappy. From what it was and, to what it is but now. But he, he was buying old Stitzel Weller bourbon that they didn't even know they had like they they didn't know what they had they yeah. they knew they had it because they were selling it to him <clears throat> so he's over there at Stitzel Weller buying their barrels from them and then relabeling them rebranding as, like yeah. you know calling them pappies which is basically what it was and he was like you know doing That's a wild. great job i mean it's amazing it's a great book read the book it's it's so good i'm due for a good non-fiction book if you want to borrow so, that it's sitting right there yeah man. i have um two books from the library i'm a li- i go to the library whatever yeah yeah um and i'm finishing those up and then i'll i'll probably borrow that after yeah, those tell me when you want it i'll bring yeah. it to you it's honestly a great read it's not a like super Thought-provoking read, but there's just a lot of information yeah. in it, and it doesn't look like it's too long, like no, 250, 300 pages, or maybe. Something. But it's a good 250, 300. Pages. Oh yeah, it's it's an easy read. So. Those are my favorite. 300 read done. Yep. Next, yeah, I'm the same way. Um, I've still got to read Bourbon Empire. I haven't read that yet. Um, I read the other one by I don't know. I think it might have been Fred Minnick. Um, Bourbon: The Rise and uh, Rebirth of an American Whiskey, and then I bought one. Um, by Ryzen, it's like a, it's on Amazon. It's a nice looking book too. The one on the far left. Yeah, it, it well, it's got a coffee table book with a whole bunch of pictures in it. It's got some old ads. It's got a whole bunch of stuff in it. Plus, it's it's also just a book too. But it's a really uh, good book. I saw the guy. I think he's a New York Times writer, um, and he was I, he was doing some stuff. I I caught it online, um, and I decided I was going to try to try to buy it just to support the guy, but also just it. It looks. It's just a nice looking book. Oh, it's a nice, yeah, very nice looking. So if you want it on your shelf or something, it's a good addition. Um, and you'll find all, with the exception of all of my books for about bourbon, with the exception of one, I have physical copies of. The only one I don't, and it's an amazing book as well, is um, Bourbon Justice. So it's supposed to sound like Urban Justice, but it's Bourbon oh, Bourbon okay. Justice, and it's basically the impact of bourbon on the judicial system in the United States. Hmm. And it's amazing. Matt would like that book. It, it's such a good, you'd like it too. I yeah. Mean. I'm but sure. it's also, it talks about like things like the, where the word, where the phrase brand name came from, came from bourbon. Um, like the, it talks about the E.H. Taylor thing, the bottled and bond and how that is the first consumer protection uh, law in the United States predating anything else like food or anything. It was bourbon that's cool and all the things that bourbon have uh contributed to um you know consumer protection to consumer laws to all these different things it's crazy it's crazy the impact bourbon has had judicially in this country mm-hmm. and, and bourbon justice is a great great read that's a great I'll read. look that one up too yeah it's good 
I've tried. I reached out to that guy to have him on the podcast. He's never responded. I've reached out to Ray Thompson too. He hasn't responded either. Um, he's pretty damn busy, and he's still. I think he still does stuff for ESPN. So, um, but like he even talks about the Kentucky Derby in there. He talks That's about cool. yeah. It's it's a good book. Um. Anyway, so let's talk about the Starlight. You said chocolate bomb. Chocolate bomb. Um. It's not fair that we drank it after the 117 because I've had this. This is fantastic. Yeah. And I get the malted chocolate yeah. in the nose after I've tasted it a couple times. A teeny bit of youth comes through for yeah, me. Yeah, I'm getting that right now. I was about to say the same thing. And and I feel bad saying that because I haven't noticed it before. Before, I know. And, and I get it. That's why I think it's unfair to put the ones. But, you know. I said that, too. Like, how? Which, what order do we go in? I remember I asked you that. It's hard. And I, you had mentioned doing the 117 last. I was worried that this double oaked might give it something that might make the 117 not look as yeah. good, but I think that wouldn't have happened today. Yeah. Um, I, I like it. I would I would still buy this bottle. I'm not saying yeah, that I no, don't like really it by good. any means. They, all I just, three of these were really yeah, good. Yeah, a little bit of the corn, a little bit of the grain comes through with the youth, but it's still a very good bottle. I agree, 100%. Um, this is a good pickup from Mash and Journey. I, oh, think, yeah. I think it's sold out. Yeah, but, I think it uh, sold out pretty quick. But I would say if I had to rate these, I would probably do the 117 first. Mm-hmm. I would do the Starlight probably second and the Evan Williams. I don't know. It's a tough tie between those two. I think to, for me, Starlight and Evan Williams are going to be situational. Agree. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So, like, the Evan Williams is a good, it's a nice, it says it on there, a smooth, easy drinker. It's a sipper, man. It's, it's a sipper. It, yeah, it's a, this, you're watching a movie, it's a sipper, yeah. you know. I'd say the old Forester comes off almost like a dessert bourbon, even yeah. though it's it's it does it's just good, and then <clears throat> this Starlight's also a different direction, but almost like a dessert bourbon as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's got a malted chocolate flavor to it that just is there. I'm getting a little bit of the corn, same. to be honest. Same, um, but I think, like you said, it's because we had the. I've never tasted that in this before. I've never had that grain or the corn in this before either. And I, think I just it's think it's because we're coming from the old Forester. Yeah. It's a little bit older. It's and, not fair. And then we came from a 12-year Evan Williams as well. Um, so it's. I think it's the most youthful of all these. Um, but you know what? I mean, it's still good. Mm-hmm. I'd still buy it. Good. Yeah. For, and I did. <laughs> and you did. I would, yeah. And I would, I would still, you know, still buy it. All right. So I think we covered a lot of stuff today. We did. This was a good episode. I think, uh, you know, it was a good idea. I think someone mentioned, hey, you need to go back. And I'm like, well, that means you probably didn't listen to some of our earlier episodes while we were still learning. Yeah, but, but I don't always but do that's that. that's okay. You know, yeah, I don't, no, I know. I don't always go back and start so at often. season one and start with, you know, right. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did that, though, with Mike Rose, uh, the way I heard yeah. it. Yeah. Holy cow. That was my, that's probably my favorite podcast of all time. Although Second he, to ours. He, I mean. Well, of course, yeah. He's long form now. It used to be like 10 to 15 minute mm-hmm. episodes. Now those are like, great. Now they're like an hour. Yeah. And they're still good, but he brings on people. He brings on guests now and talks about things. And before it was just like this story he would write about something, you know, that was maybe some historical thing and you wouldn't know what he was talking about. And then there'd be a reveal at the end. Mm-hmm. It was almost like the M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, effect, I like that. You know? But it was, but it was like little ten minute. You didn't have much you had to put into it. You could watch it or listen to it on the way to the, to work, even on a short commute. And they were good. They were really good. I listened to one called Stuff You Should Know, and they do every once in a while things called like short stuff. Yeah, and it's the same thing. It's like a fifteen minute episode, short stuff. Boom, 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 done. So I'm so upset we did not record. I didn't talk about this at all yet. I was going to wait till Tyler was back on, but I just had a bachelor party that we went to this last weekend, and I was going to so. 
before this podcast started, AJ, whose bachelor party we were going to, <laughs> AJ and I were going to start a podcast called Shart Stories. Instead of short stories. Instead of short stories. It was all about sharding or shitting your pants or <laughs> or close calls or whatever. That's what it was going to be about. And we had people lined up. We had that wanted to come oh, on and God, tell their short stories. Hilarious. And so like I had a few of them already lined up for myself. And so that was going to be the the idea of the of the <laughs> podcast. And we might I've still to this day thought maybe we should have you a still Bourbon it. Hunters short stories, yeah. you know, uh, edition. And, uh, you know, maybe even have that be oh my God. just like a five or ten minute thing. Yeah. That's just a, a real quick. I feel like they had to be quick episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind yeah, of, no, yeah. No, for sure. Um, or it was the, the idea was that it would be you would spend five, ten minutes getting to know the person on the episode. Oh, yeah. And then have them tell their yeah. story. And kind of like way, the build up. Yeah. And then the idea was if, if it ever got big enough, you know, we could have guests on. Yeah. And like actual like maybe celebrities or someone, they would come in, tell us about themselves, talk about whatever they were having done at that time, and then and then have them tell their short story. That was the that was the thinking, and I swear I thought that would be a great. Oh, I think premise. it would. I do. I still think it would be. A I good could premise. see success. I even, so I even had the picture for the podcast made. I had everything done. I think we even had the website uh, purchased, oh and then God. we just never did it. We never we never did it. But the bourbon, the bourbon came through, and we uh, we followed through on that one. So, all right, guys, let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram. Reach out to us uh, in our any of the podcast forums. Leave us a review. Give us a feedback. If you want to hear a short story episode, <laughs> if you have a short story to share, yeah, like if seriously, I've got a couple I could lead with, <laughs> and that was that was going to be the first couple episodes, and then. If you want to hear some short stories, let us know. I'll tell some short stories on the story. I've got some short stories. You have any short stories? Everyone's got a short story. Oh, let's yeah. be honest. All if right. you don't, you're lying. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So uh, thanks for joining in this week. Hopefully you learned some things. If not, hopefully you were so entertained while, and maybe you learned some things you just didn't know, even if yeah. you've been into bourbon for a while. I, I mean, there were things I learned. Absolutely. All right. Sweet. I mean, hopefully that wasn't when I took a bathroom break but um <laughs> all right guys thanks for joining in and uh i am dude pool on instagram we are the bourbon hunters on instagram we've got brett paul Bryan um, on instagram yep. we've got the people schnoz on instagram which he, he i haven't never done shit anything. with it in a while he doesn't like, post anything but i tag him I'll, and then we've got ty schaefer 04 and i think that's it right yep that should be it find us on instagram give us a follow uh you know always give us a good review on uh the the podcast platform that you're listening on that helps us out gets good guests we haven't had a guest in a while have we that proxy guy was the last time for the like so. Kentucky Bourbon yeah. Festival that was we're due for one yeah we need to get some guys on so um, I actually got a couple emails about that oh, so cool. we'll have to follow up on that well stay tuned guys we'll have another episode next week and uh, thanks for joining in appreciate it have a good night Thank you for joining in for yet another episode of The Bourbon Hunters. If you like what you hear, please leave us a good rating on Apple, Podbean, Google, or wherever you are listening. It definitely helps us to get great guests on our show. And follow us on Instagram and the Facebooks to keep up to date with what is in our glass. As always, sit back, grab a pour, kick up your feet, and enjoy some bourbon.